Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. So on today's episode, this is going to be an unusual kind of person to have on the podcast, I think, in your mind. Dr. Eric Fitzmadrud is a couples therapist who really focuses on male sexuality that I have been admiring from afar for a long time because so many of my colleagues work with him. I have clients that work with him. I've recently referred him cases, and I've just admired him for many years from afar, and we got to connect recently at a conference, and then he sent me the galleys to his soon-to-be-released book called The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. And you might go, Tracy, on the Sidewalk Talk podcast, this is about human connection. But here's the thing. I think that sex is an important part of human connection that's been loaded with so much shame, but it actually makes us much better connectors. But we're hemmed in by all these weird roles that we've learned from our culture about what is and isn't okay. And Eric brings a particular lens on men and power and consent and identity and emotional intelligence. He's sweet. He's To me, he's got this well-balanced masculine and feminine while simultaneously we get explicit in some places talking about sex. So word to those who might be hanging around kids listening to this. This may not be the one for you to listen out loud with your kids. Or maybe it will be. But I'm just really excited about his book, and I hope you get it. Really, really excited. I'm really excited to introduce you to him because I'm really proud to, to know this man and I'm proud of the impact he has on our world. So without further ado, Dr. Fitz. I'm so, you know, I see, I do these interviews at the end of my client day, and sometimes I'm not energized. I'm so energized right now to talk to you because I had a break after my last couple session before we launched in, and I just can't wait to introduce you to everyone. So I call you Dr. Fitz in my mind, but it's Eric Fitzmadrud. Yes. But why do you go by Dr. Fitz to start with? Is it just to make it easier on people or? It is. It was also just as a little pun, Dr. Eric Fitz, I thought was kind of a fun little marketing tag. Like somebody would see my website and think, oh, Dr. Eric Fitz. It it, it fits. Yeah, huh. exactly. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's so it. I've been hearing about you from for years from Pam Costa. She's sing, saying your praises. And then we got to meet at, at the Couples Institute Couples Conference. I'm like, wait a minute, I recognize you. And then we we yeah. met online and I've sent you a client and maybe I'll do some couples consulting with you because you're a brilliant couples therapist. But dang, you sent me the galleys for your new book coming out. 
And I told you before we got on that I was blown away. And I said, I'm going to tell you the thing that got me emotional when I was reading it. It wasn't the political stuff around the hero stuff that is imposed on men. By the way, the book is called The The Better Man. It comes out on September 19th. And I'm not trying to make a sales pitch to you listeners. I haven't been as excited by a book of people that have come on this podcast than this book. So I'm just going to boss you around until you have to go buy it, period. (laughs) You just have to. Um, Because I think it's taking up, you know, as a couples therapist, I feel sensitive towards men. I have two sons too. And um, patriarchy hurts men. Yes, It hurts men too. And it's painful for them. Yes, And um, your book takes that up in ways that are provocative and so informative and healing. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you what teared me up. Okay. So as you've gotten to know me, I always have this thing with you because you're so tender and sweet and sensitive. And I'm such, I'm like a teenage 14-year-old boy sometimes, right? And I'm like, God, Dr. Fitz is going to think I'm like, he's going to judge me. He's going to think I'm a weirdo. And then I'm, I'm going to think you're bringing all the gifts of a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> exactly. So I'm over that because I actually love the 14-year-old boy in me. Yeah. Um, but what I was reading when I read your book is I realized, oh, wow. Number one, in my own analysis, I've worked on the ways in which patriarchy has had me put away my femininity into shadow. And that's something I do a lot of work with in my own therapy. But I also realized that the things that men are taught around consensual sexuality pressuring their partners for sex, the way that they hold their power in our society, the machismo or the bad boy that we sort of look up to. I'm not into any of it. And I never have been. Yeah. And I was with somebody for six and a half years and I left him and I I, I was working with my spiritual teacher and he said, what do you want? I said, I want a feminine man. Mm. And I realized that I chose my partner of 21 years because I actually didn't want a man that subscribed to any of this stuff. And he doesn't. He is, he's not a 14 year old boy. <laughs> Although he likes to tell fart jokes as much as I do, but he can meet me on that, on that level. And whenever we're in workshops together, people go, how do you deal with Tracy? Like, doesn't she just emasculate you? And he goes, why would you say that? Right. I am a man of my own right, but because I'm sensitive doesn't mean that I'm powerless. Absolutely. And so that those are the emotions that came up for me. I just had this, I kind of fell in love with my husband a little bit more reading your book. Oh, yay. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I'll, I'll just let you take that wherever you want to take that, what your reaction is to that. I mean, I think you're pointing to one of the central theses of my book, which is that our love, our capacity to connect, our capacity to be in genuine, authentic relationship with is where our deepest power comes from, men or people of any gender. And it's so important that we reconnect with our tender hearts in order to find that power, in order to find that connection, because that's going to be the only thing that really satisfies our needs also. 
Okay. I hear that. And yeah. I agree with that. But yeah. I told you I have this macho edge in me, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's where I'm going to go with what you just said. Please. Because you talk a lot about sex in your book. You, yeah. you specialize in working with male sexuality and sexuality, right. including being very inclusive in your practice for folks that are poly or into kink and BDSM. I mean, you're just, you really hold such a beautifully inclusive lens. Tender heartedness for some people isn't freaking sexy. Sure. It doesn't That's have that okay. edge. Sure. So, and I think people, people are afraid of that. If I'm too tender, will that mean that I won't have sex anymore? Yeah. And I think that any number of things in here. So, let me start with different erotic styles. So, great. You want the energy, you want the heat, you want the polarity, you want you know, to be taken or to have the permission energetically to take in a consensual loving um, relationship. And outside of those hot, intense, passionate moments, the capacity to be attuned, to learn what are the safety parameters that are going to make it possible for us to really let go whether you're the person who's being receptive and submissive or you know something like that or whether you're the person who's being dominant intense and doing the taking that connection beforehand creates the container where all of that intense energy can fly mm. and everybody's still held everybody's still safe everybody still feels like if i needed to I could push the button to pull out of this moment because I trust we've created the safety parameters that make playing with this intensity safe for me to lose self-consciousness inside of. Hmm. So do you think that, well, okay, so let's go back here. Someone said something interesting the other day, which is sexuality is a playground for all of our unconscious longings and wishes and desires and hurts. It's a playground. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when my son was like seven, he asked me what sex was. I said, it's naked play between grownups. <laughs> I was trying to give him a simple, a simple summary. Yeah. Um, and I think what I hear you saying is that just like kids lose themselves in play when they feel safe. Yes. When grownups feel safe with each other we can really fully lose ourselves in the play rather than it being so transactional. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, what a lot of people hear when they think about consent is a robotically oriented, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Permission giving and getting. Okay, now we got the green light kind of conversation. And I really want to elevate consent Beyond that, in terms of our aspirational sense of what it can become, what it can be for us, consent is the greatest pathway to the most intense pleasure. Consent is the process where we engage in the vulnerability of asking for what's really going to turn us on and really ring our bell. Consent is the process where we learn how to hold our partner's vulnerability so that they're willing to give us a little bit of that vulnerability now and a little more, and a little more, and a lot, eventually. Mm -hmm. It's the process of deepening together. And mm -hmm. so I like to say consent is the foundation of pleasure. 
And if it starts robotic, if it starts in a transactional sense, hey, that is much better than not having the conversation and much worse than the, than the risks that are present if we don't have it. But it can be so much more. I just started giggling because my mind just drifted. I actually use consent a lot as a therapist, yes. even before I confront a client. And I'm very, <laughs> it's no shock to you, provocative. I was just giggling because I said something. This is exactly the phrase I said to a client the other day. I said, <laughs> hey, um, are you down with me being a dominatrix in session right now? Because I'd like to boss you around. Yeah. And they're like, sure. I'm like, okay, great. And if it pisses you off, you can just tell me to go F myself and we'll back up. Right. And they're like, okay. And that is, you know, the broadest sense of consent is this way that we can bring consent into consent culture. It doesn't just belong in the bedroom. It belongs in the kitchen. It belongs in the living room. It's present when you ask your kid, hey, can I lick my thumb and wipe the schmutz off your face before we take a picture, rather than just doing it and, um, you know, giving them that awkward feeling that they didn't have the moment of autonomy. They didn't know what was about to happen to their own body. Mm -hmm. Consent culture can take place in the therapist office or the boardroom or anywhere we meet and connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just am aware that I, I think that when I was a mother to little to my kids, I remember I was in the, the MoMA and I was yeah. wearing a baby Bjorn and somebody just came up and started touching my kid. I'm like, Whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is a person. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't do that to right. a grown-up. Right. So you gotta you know, ask me, ask him, ask both of us. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. It's a way for us to build the sense of safety to be in connection is by engaging in consent. So what's coming up in me right now as I listen, there's, so your book could, some people could be afraid to pick it up because they're like, oh God, is this going to be another book blaming men for all the problems in our society? My sons are teenagers, they're 14 and 15. They used to be really into certain political movements and they backed away from them because they're like, Hmm. we're feeling kind of blamed for everything. And It's turning us off. Right. I'm just curious how you hold this larger. Men feel like you talked about the hero, how the men is the man is supposed to be the hero. They're told to provide and work hard and that they're expendable because we send them off to war and sorry. But but at the same time, we're also telling them they're the villains. Right. It's a double edged sword. And I just want to take that up with you a little bit. So I really try to start the book with connecting to exactly this experience of men's pain, of being told conflicting sets of messages. We still receive a lot of messages of traditional masculinity amongst each other from our partners of any gender. And it's very difficult then to navigate the messages of you're supposed to be this traditional masculinity, but also you're the villain, but also be something different than all of that. And it's painful. We get caught in these conflicting messages with very few 
messages that confirm for us the innate essence of goodness in us, that our sexuality is good, that our desire and capacity for love is real and needed in the world. We are good. Mm -hmm. And a part of what I want to tap into is exactly that sense of, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know what I'm supposed to live up to. And if we can clear away the layers of shoulds on top of that, and if I can try to remind my readers, you are good, you have always been good, what were your gifts before all of those other messages got layered on top of you? What was the man that you would have been if none of those messages came, but instead your caregivers, your community was attuned to you and had begun affirming that from the beginning, Mm -hmm. your uniqueness, your gifts, your passion, your vitality, in all the diversity and difference and nuance that you would bring to it, instead of trying to slap some kind of masculine manhood, something label onto it, who are you? And how can you get back in touch with that and find out how to express that genuinely, lovingly, passionately, so that the people, friends, community, and lovers who are magnetized by that authenticity are drawn mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the other piece that comes up as we're talking is we're talking about man, male. And I have actually been quite inspired by how fluid we're becoming because it feels freer because I like anything that has to do with freedom. (laughs) Oh, male. What is male? You know, like, do you think we're going to get to a point where we're not even going to need, need this anymore? Possibly. I I think maybe it's a long ways away because I think there's a lot of men that are feeling really threatened by this fluidity, but yeah, I think I want to be really clear. I'm not at all a gender essentialist, but I also think that many people Gender essentialist is a person who believes that, you know, gender identity is somehow inborn and encoded in, you know, the X or the Y of genes. And I write from a very inclusive perspective, welcoming trans men into the community of men, welcoming, not just welcoming, insisting that they belong Mm -hmm. um, in the community of men, insisting that gay men belong in the community of men. I do think that there is something that is going to call some members of humanity, at least for the foreseeable future that I can imagine, to identify in different ways Mm -hmm. as men, as women. I think there are some people are going to be called to identify as non-binary, sometimes men, sometimes women. All of that is welcome and important in our communities. And I think that for people who identify as cisgender that is assigned, identified as male at birth, and identifying as male now as um, adolescents or adult men, we are freer in that cisgender identity when we welcome into our community all of the sexual and gender diversity that is within and underneath the umbrella of self-identified men. Because if we're if we have a penis, we were born with it, and we identify as a man, but we welcome trans men into our community, then we know that a penis being hard, ejaculating the way that you think it ought to, or somebody's told you it ought to, isn't 
essential to being a man. Mm -hmm. It isn't essential to being a good lover because that trans man over there can be a good lover too. Mm -hmm. And if he can, so can I, regardless of what's happening to my hydraulics today. And that freedom is so important for us because it, it lets us out of the shackles of expectation. It lets us into the freedom of accepting what is. And that's how we show up authentically in the present moment to see what can happen generously to give and receive with whatever lover we have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't read the whole book. How much of it is about sex versus these other sort of sociopolitical emotional pieces you just uh, do, do the I, smile do I have to separate things right yeah so uh, you know how much of it isn't about sex i mean i've got a section of the book on um that's titled if if not sex what do i need where i talk about all of the other wellness needs that i encourage my readers to begin attending to as elements in the foundation of a healthy sex life. So we need community. We need work-life balance. We need to manage our physical health to the degree that we can. At any one of those moments, I may not be talking about what's happening in a bedroom, but I'm trying to orient that we are sexual beings and that the threads of that woof you know, are weave, woven through the warp of our own fabric. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why I wrote the book the way that I did to support men's holistic well-being. But I'm also trying to grab you a little bit with, yeah, uh, uh, there are a lot of different dimensions to our lives, but also in some ways the community of men is oriented and interested and motivated by what might happen in our sexual lives. And if we can see that what's connected that all the other aspects of our well-being are connected to our sexual lives Mm -hmm. so i could say you know at a certain level maybe 70 percent of the book is oriented explicitly to sex and i think i could say a hundred percent of it is explicitly oriented to sex or indirectly oriented to sex two things come to mind one i i work you, you know that i work primarily with couples and it pains me to hear about couples after they've had kids, they they sort of develop this passivity that, well, sex is just not important anymore. We've had the kids, we're tired, we're not doing these well-being practices. And this is something I get from you, but also from Pam, who introduced us, who who's yeah. like, sexual health is as important part of our health as any other aspect of our health. There's mental health, there's physical health, there's sexual health. Right. And what you're eliciting in me and saying this is how I need to attend to my own sexual health. It also elicits in me why I've had you on this podcast, because some people might go, why are you talking about sex on the Sidewalk Talk podcast? Because it's part of human connection. Yes. And we can deny that, but it is. And this podcast is about human connection. And we can be very puritanical here and demure. But what I hear you saying is, Tracy, we are, you said, Tracy, we're sexual beings. We cannot yeah. deny this. Yeah. But then I'll also say to you, but man, American culture is sure steeped in a lot of religious background it that is. has us feel it shouldn't be part of the forefront of our mind. 
Yeah, that shame shows up in a lot of different ways that it should look certain ways. It should only take place in certain forums. It should only be spoken about in certain ways. It should only take place in certain kinds of relationships. And one of the ways that I try to celebrate male sexuality is that it kind of doesn't want to color inside those lines. And it often doesn't. And as a couples therapist, you know, that's often what ends up showing up in our office. The broken relationship agreements, the um, fantasies or desires or um, sexual practices that that took place outside of relationship agreements because there wasn't another pathway. And so part of what I'm trying to invite people to do is remember that if we don't attend to the flowing water of sexuality, it's still flowing. And if we don't attend to where it's going, it will continue filling up whatever reservoir we've bottled it up into until it will overflow our boundaries and it will feel out of control for us. And that's a two-part dance that's very familiar for me working with men with um, what's colloquially often called sex addiction, but what in um, the sexual professionals organization that I belong to calls out-of-control sexual behavior. When people bottle their sexuality with shame, then their sexual behavior often begins to feel out of control. If we attend to the shame, then suddenly what felt out of control, a person begins to gain a sense of control over. Now you begin to grapple with, how do I feel about these desires? How do I feel about these practices that turn me on? How can I build a life of authenticity and integrity with choice around it, instead of trying to pretend to myself and others that these things aren't a part of my sexuality. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I think the thing that came up for me is when you said men's sexuality frequently doesn't want to color inside the lines, I think a lot of female partners will go, so does that mean I owe you sex so you don't cheat on me? Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad you asked that question because if, that is never the impression that I want to give. <laughs> And it's one of the things that I address, this notion in a partnership of entitlement that uh, is something that we really need to attend to and try to eliminate. So this is why I talk about it in a couple of different stages, right? When we enter a relationship, we make relationship agreements. One of those relationship agreements could be monogamy. But we need to attend to our history, our relationship history, our sexuality history, to attune to, is that a good, sustainable agreement of integrity for us to make? And if it isn't, then we need to be honest about that. And if it is, then how will we maintain that? And how will we begin to be honest if that bond, if that agreement begins chafing? How can we communicate that with our partners? But also, not just how can I satisfy my sexual desire with my partner, but how can we reclaim as men our ability to satisfy and express our own sexuality on our own? Which is why, among other things, I have a section that is trans-friendly on whole-person masturbation for readers. 
um, it's not going to be my greatest calling in life, but I think men need an equivalent of what Betty Dodson was for women. She was a woman who celebrated female <laughs> orgasm and female masturbation <laughs> for many years. And we need um, a person out there who reclaims for men whole person, emotional, connected, authentic masturbation that really helps us knock our socks off and gives us a full and deep sense of being able to make love to and satisfy ourselves at a deep and powerful level. Mm. Because when we don't have that autonomy, then we create our dependence on our partners. And that is a, part, a big part of what ends up creating that sense of pressure, mm. that sense of powerlessness that creates conflict, that causes us to create conflict in our relationships. And we don't need to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this way in which I hear you saying we fill holes in ourselves, these empty places, these lonely places by pawing at our partner and chasing them around the house. And you're saying, no, yeah. no, you can create a consensual sexual relationship by first filling those holes in with your own falling in love sexuality with yourself. If I Am can, I getting I'd that like right? to revise that just please, a little bit. Please, Yeah, because the holes, the holes analogy suggests efficiency. Okay. And I would go back to the early wounds, right? You have been trying to be a good man your whole life by fitting into conflicting, unrealistic expectations of who you are and how you are. As you tried to cut off with your loving heart, well, if this is what a good man is, then I guess I'll do it. Mm. You cut those parts of yourself off and you're longing to reconnect with them. And the only avenue that you know of is through reconnecting to parts of that as you are able to express it in connection with your partner. And that's what creates pressure. But it won't really be satisfying, which is why you get into that dynamic with couples of like, Sure, we ended up, you know, having a vibrant sex life on vacation. We had the holidays. We had this really rich sexual connection, and it lasted three days or three weeks or three months. And then I became aware of my helplessness and hopelessness to satisfy myself again. And I re engaged the pattern of pressure because I still have this part of myself that's cut off. And if I reconnect that part of myself, then the sex that I have will be more satisfying, more enduring, and I won't feel so helpless and hopeless to get something from my partner anymore. Yeah. Okay. I'm a mom to two boys. Yeah. yeah and, I have a know, 10 year old boy myself. <clears throat> 14 and 15. And my 14 year old tells me a lot. I mean, this started at eight years old. He'd say, Mom, boys are different at school. Like when I leave the house, you tell me I can talk about my feelings and be tenderhearted. That's not what I'm seeing on, on the playground. Mm -hmm. And then we've had another conversation. He goes, yeah, I don't feel like anyone really gets me. I said, yeah, because I think you want to talk about your feelings. He's a muscly, macho guy that wants to talk about his feelings with his guy friends. Yeah, yeah. And this is what's really hard as a parent, that all this stuff that you're saying I can scaffold some of it as a parent. Yes. That I the culture is still pressuring men with this performative here's who your identity sh should be things. Yes. What can we do? I know I'm asking you a huge freaking question, but 
You said ask you whatever I'm curious about. So I'm so I'm glad you did. <laughs> so, you know, the first thing that I want to emphasize is I think that this you're asking the question of how to liberate men from patriarchy. And I think that while mm. our partners and women and people of other genders can be supportive, I think this is a question we need to be asking ourselves. I think you're right that it's the boys and the men who trained them that are perpetuating and holding on to a lot of these myths. And it's why I'm trying to be a part of the alternate narrative around that. Mm -hmm. To say there is another way to be a community of men. We don't have to be isolated alone. We can break the silences and push through the awkward conversations with each other by saying, hey, let's talk about our feelings. And when your guy friend says, oh, what are you, my therapist? Oh, what are you, my girlfriend? And kind of reasserts the traditional masculine narrative and rebuffs you. Break through it again. Try again. Because we are so used to our history of getting vulnerable with each other and then having our vulnerability used to be made fun of, used to be a source of victimization. That only if we press, only if we offer vulnerability, authentically, deeply, powerfully, and resiliently, mm. will we really send the signal, I am really safe, honestly, see, for you to open up to me, because mm. I'm already opening up to you. And there are men's organizations. The Mankind Project is one that I um, respect. Um, the Good Men Project is a media outlet that offers um, alternate visions of masculinity. They are out there. And if men are diligent, you will be able to connect to men who are doing this work. It doesn't catch headlines. And I think in a way that might be good for us because it's the opposite of the bombastic, you know, headline touting, loud shouting. It's the opposite of what we were taught in the traditional masculine mode. It's just us in the quiet of a couple of our buddies' homes, doing our work, opening our hearts, learning to grieve, and supporting each other. Mm, beautiful. I used to uh, stalk this, these guys that would get together at a coffee shop in my small town because yeah. I was just so touched. Every Thursday morning they were there. And I'm like, yeah. it's just so lovely to be around them. I'm just going to go every Thursday morning just so I can be on the outskirts watching these guys between four and eight of them. And one day I had the courage. I said, can I take your picture? Yeah. And they said, sure. It was and just the cutest I, thing. I think that really illustrates not just that when men do this, it draws community to mm. us. It illustrates that our community is hungry for mm. and will celebrate us for doing this work. If you're a man who's feeling like, Nobody ever says good things about men. Do more men's work. Do mm. more of this connecting to men's hearts. Do more of uh, bringing your gifts to your community because it will be celebrated. Our culture is hungry for generative masculinity. And Ooh, that was a great call. 
yeah. do more men's work. I'm yeah. I'm touched by that statement a lot. Yeah. Are you guys listening to that? Because that's I think that's really powerful. I, Ashanti's branch, Ashanti Branch's mind just face just came into my mind. Who does the uh, Ever Forward Club stuff in Oakland, right? Working with young black men, and he just loves on these kids. Period. Yes, yes, and, and creates a is- feminine, sacred, sweet space for young black boys to talk about their hearts, not be tough. Yeah, and it's celebrated. It is laudable. It is such an instant magnifier for respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. I met some of his boys, and I just had such a great time with them. Ah, oh, this is so nice. There was something else I was going to ask you, but I forgot, so it must not be so important. Um. So again, you guys, I, I just, I'm going to boss you around. You have to get Eric's book, <laughs> it, you know, be a better man and get involved with changing our world around men. And it's not about running around shaming men for how they're all the problem. Start teaching men that it's safe to be loving and tender yeah. and tell them, Hey, I see your tenderness. I just, I think that's such an interesting call in. So beautiful. So I told you when we started, there's we have this ritual. Yes, I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> and I just love these people that I've gotten to meet in this project. This sidewalk talk secretly, I just started to be my free friend finder. <laughs> That's really all <laughs> the only reason. It's all selfishly about me. Um, it, I just find my friends through this project. So these are pretty precious souls that I would like to hand off the mic to you. And you, you just get to talk to them and not to me either words of wisdom or a wish or whatever is on your heart as a way to close. My message to you is preserve your gifts, whether it is sidewalk talk, your capacity for relationship, connection, community, preserve your gifts. Take the time in silence in connection and community with good food, whatever it is that nourishes it and keeps it alive and keeps it vibrant. Don't give in to the message of just pouring it out until it wilts. Preserve your gift. We mm. need it. Boy, that touches my heart directly. I hope it touches all of your hearts too as you listen. Okay, so for everyone, there are going to be lots of links in the show notes. So please head over to the links to find out about Dr. Eric Fitzmarud, as I call him, Dr. Fitz. Uh, at some point, I'm going to hit you up because I'm doing a little consult group and I'm going to pay you to come in and consult with my colleagues like every once in a while, if you would, <laughs> on our cases. Um, I find Dr. Fitz somebody that I look up to in this work, and um, you should too. And you're an activist for, well, I'm just going to keep it simple, for for love, for the love of men. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So th- I just I want to say that. thank you for your work in the world. That is, um, that really touches me deeply because that's what I say to people who touch me mm. is I say thank you for your work in the world. So mm. that's really meaningful to me. Thank you for saying mm. that and thank you for sidewalk talk and thank you for this podcast and thank you for the cross-pollination 
sweet. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.